So last week we talked about um, Saul's conversion experience. We saw how Jesus interrupted Saul's life and radically, radically saved him. And we, we talked about how in Jesus saving Saul, we, get, uh, we have this great picture of grace for the sinner and love for an enemy and power for a purpose. And just that when God does something uh, like he did with, with Saul, uh, it gives us encouragement about what he wants to do with other people's lives, how God wants to save people. And really, we could have continued on with, with this next section in chapter 9 as it continues to talk about Saul. Um, but there's just so much good stuff here, I needed to cut it in two. So what we're really going to see today is we saw last week Jesus saving Saul, and this week we're going to see Jesus growing Saul. And it's important that we see that it's Jesus who does both. It's, 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 it's Jesus who's confronting Saul and wanting to draw Saul to himself and saving Saul. And it's Jesus who's doing a work in him. He's transforming him and he's uh, bringing uh, good brothers alongside of him. And he's, it's Jesus who's making sure that he's planted within good growing churches. And I think we need to see that. I think we need to see that it's, it's the Lord who begins our walk with him. And it's the Lord who makes sure that we get to the end. That's why the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that we need to keep our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith. And so we pick it up in verse 20. Speaking of Saul, it says, Immediately Saul preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called in this name in Jerusalem? And has he come here? Uh, has he come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? So we see it says immediately, which means basically Saul receives Christ as Savior. God saves Saul in a pretty radical way. If you remember what happens, he's he's physically blinded. He doesn't eat or drink for three days. We know that he's praying during that time, and Jesus says sends Ananias to. To minister to Paul, to pray for Paul, the scales, something like scales, fall from Paul's eyes. In other words, his blindness is healed. He's baptized in water, and he's baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it's like right after this. I mean, he's just been in a, a Christian for a few days. He goes into the synagogue, and he starts preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. And it's blowing these people away. And they're blown away because they're going, wait a second. Didn't he just, wasn't he killing people for preaching the same thing just a couple of weeks ago? Didn't he come to Damascus so he could arrest and kill people for doing the very thing he's doing now? And they're blown away by this complete radical transformation. And this is what, what Jesus does. He grows us by transforming us. It's God doing something radical in us. We go from, this is how the Bible describes our salvation, going from death to life. Now some of us have had, I had a dramatic conversion experience, more like Damascus Road, more like Paul, more like Saul. Some of you guys had very much kind of, you kind of, in a sense, absorbed in, got absorbed into a relationship with God because you grew up in the church. Neither one is more valid than the other. But the thing is, both are equally dramatic. Both are equally supernatural transformation. Where God takes you, and you are dead in your trespasses and sins, and He makes you alive in Christ. It is death to life. And Saul is demonstrating that by, he was preaching against Jesus, and then when he sees Jesus as he is, he can't help but preach Jesus. It's important, too, to recognize that when it says that he's preaching that Jesus is the Son of God, uh, that this is significant because that phrase, 
Jesus being the Son of God, the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, it's, it's a proclamation of His deity. Remember when Jesus uh, was, this is why Jesus was crucified. Because he claimed to be God. John 5 makes this clear. Jesus answers the religious leaders saying, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. And therefore, because he said this, the Jews sought to kill, all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he said God was his father, notice, making himself equal with God. And so it was the whole reason the Jews wanted, the religious leaders wanted Jesus dead was because they thought it blasphemous that a man would call himself God. And certainly it is, unless he actually is God. And Paul had this revelation when God saved him. He recognized, Jesus is the one I need to worship. He's the creator God. I need to bow down to him. I'm not saying he understood everything instantly, but he, he knew that Jesus was worthy of worship. He proclaimed him as the Son of God, the Messiah of the Jews, the divine uh, one from the Father. And so he, he preaches this. and It says in verse 22 that as he's doing this, it says, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, it's also important to recognize when Paul goes into the synagogues to preach, don't think like he was invited to preach, like he's the guest speaker or something. The culture of the synagogues would have been that any Jewish male could have stood up and said, I'd like to read a scripture and read a scripture and then made a comment on that. It was kind of how the synagogue worked. You had the, the men in the primary sections. They could stand. They could teach if, if they felt they should. The women were cut off to the side, kind of looking through a screen. That's kind of the way it worked back then. And uh, the Gentiles were way outside trying to listen in if they wanted to. And so he, he took advantage of that culture and he stood up and said, I have something to say, Jesus. And in fact, it was interesting because we'll see this, in fact, all throughout the book of Acts, where this becomes his, his habit, his custom, as it says. Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying that this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And so the point is, is that because God had done this transforming work, this transforming work was continuing the more he moved out in ministry, the more he served, the more he used the gifts he had to get Jesus known, to make Jesus known. In Paul's case, of course, it was teaching. But as he did this, as he was able to, to really, you might say, debate or, 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 uh, or contend for the faith, make it known. As he did these things, then what happened is, you know, God made himself known. And he was growing Saul through this experience. Now, of course, what, what happens, not shocking, verse 23, and after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But the plot was made, became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night, and they let him down through the wall in a large basket. Um, now, Saul here is beginning to experience what Jesus promised him. Jesus said, you know, said he was going to have to suffer many things for his namesake, wasn't he? And so he's beginning to experience that. But even this is part of God's transforming him. He's not just transforming him by using him in a mighty way. So he's going, wow, this is amazing. God's using me to convince people that they need to believe Jesus is the Messiah. I'm being so used of God, there's radical persecution coming against me. He's actually thinking, wait a second, uh, I'm sure he's thinking, man, this is not a fun experience. In fact, it's interesting because later on in 2 Corinthians, uh, he talks about this experience and he seems to communicate in a way that he's really humbled by it. He's kind of ashamed that he had, a, had to be let down in a basket. You know, he had to kind of run away. 
Not that he was doing anything wrong, but the point is, it wasn't an easy experience. And it's important for us to recognize, this is how Jesus continues to transform us. He doesn't just kind of give us this new mindset, but he also doesn't just call us to continue in ministry, but he also allows us to go through suffering, as he's promised us. The Bible says, in fact, Paul said in 2 Timothy, he said, all those that desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. It's just part of the. It's just part of the reality. It's just we're never going to fit in in this world until Jesus comes back. And so the reality is, as we follow Him, we're going to suffer. But He's using that suffering to change us, to grow us. Now, um, somewhere here after verse between verses twenty five and twenty six, some sometime before t- verse twenty six. Uh, Saul takes a trip. And then we know this because of what Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 1. Paul talks about his experience as an apostle. He says he did not go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before him, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter, which is this is a, a reference to, and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's of the Lord's brother. Now, Paul's talking about that in Galatians 1 to prove that he didn't learn the gospel truth from other apostles, but that God had supernatural, Jesus had supernaturally revealed these things to him, which is what qualified him to be an apostle. You guys following me? Okay? And so the, the thing is, is that uh, this situation where, where Paul goes to Arabia probably happened between verses 25 and 26, where he's led down out of Jerusalem to, to our, out of uh, Damascus to escape. He leaves for a time, comes back to, back to Damascus, and stays three years. So here we go, three years later, verse 26. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Saul had uh, been pretty bold, pretty radical, and was his life was already threatened by the Jews. Now, I'm sure that the believers in Jerusalem knew this. They had heard, I'm sure, the rumors. They had heard about this Saul possibly becoming a, a Christian convert and having to run away. And maybe because he was gone and they hadn't heard from him in a few years, maybe they're thinking, wait a second, this could be a plot. This could be a trick. This guy's coming in actually to just... Uh, to trick us and to kill us. And so they didn't trust him. They were afraid of him. But it says in verse 27, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken, uh, how he had spoken to him, and how, he, how Saul had preached boldly uh, at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he, here we, we see this great picture of uh, this great example of Barnabas, a, a brother of encouragement. And, and again, this is, this is how God grows us. God grows us by just transforming our lives, but also God grows us through encouraging brothers and sisters. And, and Barnabas is a great example of this. I mean, Barnabas is having to take uh, some risks here. He's, he's listening to Saul's story. He senses, now this guy's for real. God's done something in his life. So he uses his giftedness. He's, he has a gift of exhortation. That ability to sort of communicate to somebody and to encourage them to make a decision, encourage uh, somebody to, to trust. It's a, it's a, it's a, you might say it's a counseling gift where you, you uh, might encourage somebody to, to be comforted in the Lord, to be warned about the Lord's coming. Um, Barnabas had this. Now, the Bible tells us that we have, we have gifts. Uh, Joe's going to teach about this at the, uh, at the uh, church camp. 
And it says in Romans 12 that having gifts then differing according to the grace that's given to us, let's use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. He who exhorts an exhortation. In other words, if you have the gift of exhortation, then you should be exhorting people. In this case, you have Barnabas exhorting Saul, comforting him. Hey, it's okay. Come on. I'll, I'll go with you. I'll come alongside you. And we'll, we'll, this will work out. We'll, we'll get you in the fellowship. But then also exhorting the believers in Jerusalem, saying, look, this is our brother. There's, there's no doubt God's done a work in his life. Check this out. Listen to this. Think about that. He's, he's, make, he's a peacemaker. He's, he's bringing people together. And it's so important. We need Barnabases. We need those people that are wanting to be sons of encouragement, like we call Barnabas. If we're gonna, if we're gonna grow, we need to be those people that, uh, we can have those people around us that are encouraging us, uh, to, to seek the Lord, to trust the Lord. And we need to be the kind of people that are encourage others to seek the Lord, to trust the Lord, to include people, to bring them in because they're brothers and sisters. So verse 28 says, So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. That Saul was with them coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. Now, if you remember, the Hellenists were those Greek, uh, they were Jews, but they were Jews who were immersed in the Greek culture. These were the same people. Not These weren't Christians that were uh, or Jewish Hellenists that became Christians. These were just Hellenists, okay? These were the same kind of people that Stephen had been debating with a few chapters ago. They're the ones that martyred Stephen, okay? So Paul's kind of picking up where Stephen left off. In a sense, you, you get the sense that Paul's kind of proven himself. Look, I'm serious about Jesus. I'm willing to go to the guys who were going to kill Stephen or who did kill Stephen. And I'm serious. I'm going to go and I'm going to preach Jesus to these guys. And he does. He speaks boldly to these guys. And again, I see this as part of Barnabas' encouragement. And this is what we need to do as well. As part of encouraging one another, we should encourage one another in, in using our gifts and doing the things that God would call us to do. Now, yeah, we won't get into how that works, but specifically, let's just say, or just generally, let's just say, we need to be doing that, encouraging each other in this. Then in verse 6 it says, But they attempted to kill him. I'm sorry, not verse 6, verse 29. But they attempted to kill him. And when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. So here's Saul having to kind of run off again. Um, yeah, just to basically be uh, to be safe so he can contend for the faith another day. Now, this is exactly what, what Saul was doing. He was contending for the faith. He was basically wanting to say, look, this is the Jesus who is the Christ who we need to trust, you, trust in. And this is what the Bible exhorts us to do. Jude writes about this. He says he found it necessary to write to you, ex uh, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered from the saints. Delivered to the saints. Contending for the faith. Now, there's a difference between contending and being contentious. Contending for the faith is when we are, as Saul did, we are wanting to show why someone needs to believe in Jesus, why they can trust in Jesus. We're wanting to win the person's soul. We want to see the person won for Christ. We want to see that person come to know Jesus. That's being that's contending for the faith. Being contentious is not when we're wanting to win the soul, but we're wanting just to win the argument. And I've done that many times. 
you're, you're talking to someone who's not a believer, they're really cynical and stuff, they start bringing up their, their uh, reasons why they don't believe. You start, I start answering back. They're, I can see that it was a good jab, you know. Oh yeah, what about this? Boom. And oh, oh, they bring their counter argument, then I bring mine. Oh. And I'm just wanting to win the fight, wanting to win the argument. And what happens? I lose the person. So we want to contend for the faith. We want to preach the gospel. We want to share Jesus with people to win them to, so that they can know that they can trust him, but not being contentious. Saul was not afraid to deal with, the, with the, the most difficult people, with the most difficult topics. Saul did not flinch at all with the truth, but he was wanting to win souls. He said it really clear in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, I want to be, I'll become all things to all men that I might win some. That's contending for the faith. So here's God's growing Saul through this. He's, Jesus is growing Saul as he's transforming his life, as he's uh, has bringing him, uh, encouraging brothers uh, uh, nearby him. But also, look at verse 31. Verse 31 kind of closes off this section. It's going to go back to focus. Acts is going to go back to focusing on Peter after this for a, for a short season. But it closes off with this kind of explaining what's going on. It says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. Now, the fact that it says then indicates that maybe this was, so, maybe this was part because Saul was converted. Maybe part of this was uh, Saul, who was uh, the guy who, who obviously was uh, kind of spearheading the campaign to arrest and kill Christians. Well, he wasn't doing it anymore. He was converted. So maybe it was partly that. Or maybe it was just simply a season where there wasn't as much chaos. And this is what happens in, in the history of the church. There's times in the church's history where there's been severe persecution among the people. And then there's times in the, with those people where there's a peace. So we happen to be right now in a time when there's very little persecution for us in this country. Feels like it's increasing. Feels like we're getting more and more pushed to the margins. But still, I don't think any of us has been beat up lately for our faith. Yeah, all over the world, in places where maybe there used to be peace, it used to be okay to be a Christian, people there are being persecuted for their faith. And the reason I'm bringing this up is, when it says that they, these churches all had peace uh, and were edified, having peace here is not about being complacent. They're like, oh, cool. Let's just go on a holiday, man. You know, <laughs> that persecution was rough. Let's just chill out from now on. Now, it's not complacency. They, they saw in this time where things were good that they needed to still move forward. In fact, it's interesting. The Bible teaches that often when we're in good times, times of peace, that's when we're most in a most vulnerable or dangerous spot. Do you remember what God said to his people in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6? God says to his people before they go into the promised land, he says, So it shall be when the Lord God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. And when you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. God had to warn his people, listen, it's not going to be the fighting that brings you down. It's not going to be the conflict or the fact that the Canaanites are going to be against you. What's going to be difficult is when you start having peace. When things are going really well, watch your heart. And we have to be careful with this. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't enjoy the times of peace. We should. God's richly given us all things to enjoy. We should enjoy the good stuff that we have. But we also need to guard our hearts. Because it's easy for us, to, when we're at peace, to be complacent. Well, it says specifically of the church that they were... Uh, in fact, interesting, because some of your translations might not say the churches, but the church, singular. In fact, the oldest Greek manuscripts say church, singular. That's the whole body of Christ in these places. But it says they didn't just have peace, but they were edified. Now, sometimes in church, church people, we, we use this word edified. You know, people will say, oh, I was really edified by this service. Or, I was really edified when that person did this thing. And often when they meet, what they mean by that is they felt good by the experience. But to edify, to, to be edified doesn't really have much to do with how you feel. To, to edify literally means to be built according to a plan, to be built up. Like you heard the word edifice, it's another word for building, okay? So to, to edify somebody is to build them according to plan. So it's not so much about feeling good as it is about being made good. So, so what we see here is the churches, even though they're at peace, what they're doing is they're edifying another. Their, their whole goal is to do whatever it takes to help one another grow. That's what they're wanting to do. And this is what we need to see. This has to be a priority, especially as things, in a sense, are a lot easier for us. Because things are easier for us, that should motivate us to say, let's take advantage of this time, and let's see what we can do to help each other grow in the Lord, help each other trust God more, uh, grow in Him more. That's what these guys were doing. In fact, this is a, a general exhortation to us at all times. The Bible says in the book of Romans, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace, that's peace among us, and the things by which one may edify another. We should be pursuing the things that we can help each other be built into the image of Christ. How, how can we do that? This is why it's important for us, before we come together on a service, as individuals, that we're, we're asking God to prepare our hearts for the service. Not just for what we're going to receive, yes, that for sure, but also how God would have us give. Lord, how can we build each other up? How can we help each other? Now, you guys know I, I like to cut it up. I like to goof off and joke and have banter and all that. That's a, nothing wrong with that. It's good to have some fun. But it's more important that we think about that how are we helping each other? How can we help each other walk with Jesus? How can we encourage each other in our walks with the Lord? We need to have the kind of relationship with each other where we, we, we want to give that and we want to receive that. This is where the early church was. But also notice it says in verse 8, I'm sorry, gosh, verse 31. It's because there's a little footnotes that says 8, and that's why I'm getting confused. Anyway, verse 31, it says, And walking in the fear of the Lord... And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Now, we're talking about Jesus growing Saul. He grows Saul by transforming his life. There's a radical work happening there. He grows Saul uh, through encouraging brothers. Guys like Barnabas come alongside. Saul couldn't grow by himself. Even the apostle Paul, Saul, needed people to come alongside him. But he's growing him within growing churches. And talking about the fact that these guys were at peace and edified speaks of their spiritual growth. And this is, this is what we should expect. Normal Christian experience is we grow. That's normal Christian experience, okay? But also, one of the things we notice here is that spiritual growth does lead eventually to numeric growth. 
Uh, this, is, this is the thing that we see most often in the church. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about the fact that... Uh, I'm not saying that if, if a church is growing numerically, that automatically means it's growing spiritually. Not at all. I, I used to do a lot of big events when I was in California, and we knew how to draw a crowd. We did youth events that would have over a 1,000 kids in them. So I know how to draw a crowd. Drawing a crowd doesn't mean spiritual growth. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is what Pastor Chuck used to say, which is healthy sheep reproduce. <laughs> when we're healthy, you know what happens? More people become Christians. We, God uses us to reach other people. And this is what's happening. These guys are walking in the fear of the Lord, in the comfort of the Spirit, and they're being multiplied. So what does it mean? What does it mean to walk in the fear of the Lord? Now, we've talked about this before. The fear of God is not the fear of judgment. It's not the same thing. The fear of God has to do with us being more concerned with God's opinion than anybody else's. So like when it says in the book of Proverbs, the fear of man is a snare. That doesn't mean someone's going to beat me up. It means I'm concerned what these people think about me. The fear of God is, what does God think about me? What does God think about how I'm living, how I'm thinking, how I'm acting? That's the fear of God. This is a serious thing. We need to think about this. Um, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, I'm quoting from the New Living Translation because I like the way it kind of paraphrases this. It makes it really clear. He says, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our spirit or body and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. It's kind of connected to what we talked about this morning. You know, God wants to move us from that, uh, that, that positional holiness to that practical holiness. Why do we do that? Because we fear God. We, we care about what He wants. God wants us set apart for His purposes. We believe God that that's the best place for us is to be set apart for His purposes. That's walking in the fear of God. Notice too, it says walking, not learning about the fear of God, walking in the fear of God, but also not just the fear of God, but what? In the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The comfort of the Holy Spirit is basically, I, I would define that as knowing that you're accepted in Christ. The reason I say that is because Jesus told us that the Spirit would, would, uh, would lead us in all truth. The Spirit would glorify Christ. You know that God's Spirit is speaking to you. If, he, if you're sensing, you keep having that sense in your heart, trust Jesus, go back to Jesus, talk to Jesus. You know, it's God's Spirit's always leading us back to Christ and reminding us of what we have because of Christ and what Christ has done for us. As it says in Ephesians 1.6, to the praise of the glory of grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. We're accepted because of Jesus. Because he's the beloved, we're beloved by God. Now, these two things are important. This is, this is the kind of growth we need to continue to, to, to pursue. God, we want to be concerned about your opinion above all things. And we want to remember what you, what you said about us in Christ. This is what we need to pursue. So this is the kind of church uh, environment that Saul was blessed to be a part of. And I have zero doubt this is what Jesus used to grow Saul to become the Apostle Paul. Called him to be this place through these healthy, growing churches. So, this is where God wants us to be. God wants us to grow the same way. We, have to, we, we need to believe that according to God's word, he's transforming us from the inside out. We need to believe that God, uh, we need to be and pursue those Barnabases. 
those who are being encouraging to others and, and receiving encouragement from others. And we need to, to uh, be growing a growing healthy church, a kind of church that is desiring to walk in the fear of God and the comfort of the Spirit. I think if we do this, we're going to see not only is God going to multiply us, but we're going to see Saul's raised up. Saul's turned into Paul's, and, and God's going to do good things. Amen?